Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Already in progress. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Just think funny thoughts sometimes. My name's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Really fun show planned for you guys. At least we think so. You just obviously never a dull moment at Auburn with more drama off of the field. We will talk with Tom Green of AL.com coming up in a few minutes. Two guests on the show today, Aaron. So that's yep. pretty cool. Uh, so Tom Green, we're going to rattle through all the things that have taken place at Auburn just so everybody knows what's going on. Then we're going to talk with Tom Green coming up a little bit later on in the show where uh, he will lay it all out for us. All the things that have happened, why are they happening, uh, a look ahead at the, what the roster is going to look like for Auburn in the summer, as well as expectations as to what Brian Harson has to accomplish to keep his job. So we'll do that coming up a little bit later on. We have Bud Elliott on the show from 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports recruiting guru as National Signing Day is this week. I guess the artist formerly known as National Signing Day. It's now NSD2, if you want to call it that. Um, so we'll give you some data you need to know about National Signing Day. And then Bud's going to sort of take you through sort of team by team and really break down how well these coaching staffs are doing and recruiting and what the future holds for the conference on the Cruton Trail. So we'll do that a little bit later on. We've got uh, two SEC quarterbacks playing in the Super Bowl, Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford. So we'll get into that. So some fun stuff today on the show, Aaron. Fringe Element, a fun show brought to you by Jaspers, the the bringing you the wisdom of a bonsai tree in the form of a culinary reservoir. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, I know. I did not. I I did not realize that uh, inanimate foliage could have wisdom. I suppose it's not. I suppose it's not inanimate, right? Truth I don't think you're giving foliage enough credit. You need to do a little more research on universal consciousness. Sure, foliage underrated. Fringe element says foliage. One hundred. You heard it here underrated. first. One hundred percent. Breaking recruiting news and also updates on the knowledge of trees. That's true. We do have two uh, two players that have decided where they're going to go through the portal that are very important that SEC fans care about. Um, but you know who does have a ton of wisdom and uh, not underrated? Jaspers. Uh, rated very highly by by everyone who's ever been there. That's what I'm screaming. Because the parking is free and the food is spectacular. The TVs are great. The people are wonderful. The whole the TVs vibe. are. You have never seen a TV like this TV. 11, I mean, they 11K. 11K. They are. You can't find them anywhere else. They are the only TVs like this, and they were made especially <laughs> for Jasper's with higher resolution. I mean, and that's thank you, Braden, for reminding me about how their TVs are just different. Yeah. No one else in the world has these nope, TVs. They don't. Nope. No one does. Nope. And we're not, we're you not should watch the bar, them. <laughs> we're not setting the bar too high for Jaspers at all. Uh, go check out Jaspers, of course. The happy hour is great. The parking is free and the food is wonderful. Uh, all right. So we'll get to Stafford and Burrow in the Super Bowl. We got some recruiting news you need. We'll talk with Tom Have you Green. ever said recruiting? I'm sorry. I used to. I used to. Okay. I don't prefer it anymore. I say old Mississippi. Is that getting on people's nerves yet? Um, it's not the thing that gets on my nerves the most about you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long list. Um, I do think that when someone who hears me do this show or any other show, hears me say old Mississippi, they immediately send the correction tweet. It's not old Mississippi, Braden. And I'm like, thank you. We all see it. Thank 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 you. (laughs) Blue. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say it. Don't say it. How about we wait until when to talk about leaving the game until we're inside the stadium? How about that? 
you guys want to head out around the third quarter traffic's not as bad <laughs> my, those commercials come on my wife looks at me and just stares at me they're she's my just, favorite she just looks at me and she goes because she knows like telepathically she's telling me this mm -hmm. is you dude you know this yeah. is you and i'm like I'm like, what? All these spots are compact. What do you want me to do? <laughs> so you hired them. <laughs> you don't know them. You don't know them. Go uh, watch all of the progressive commercials on YouTube and then go watch our show on YouTube after that. But no free shouts. Uh, okay. So, so Stafford Burrow, some recruiting data, two interviews today. Great interviews with Tom Green and Bud Elliott. Uh, we'll have some reaction in between uh, a little bit later on in the show, but I wanted to I wanted to do this Auburn exercise just for fun because okay. never a dull moment. And at, at some point you can just stop me and say things if you need to. Okay. Here, here is what has happened in not just the 13 months that Brian Harson has been on the job, but basically just since the summer and basically, and this is, so we're talking five months, six months, seven months, give or take, whatever of Brian Harson's tenure at Auburn. Mm-hmm. He gets COVID and has to sit out a week of practice during camp. Mm -hmm. Tracy Rocker is out off of his coaching staff without mm -hmm. being at a practice. So I think that actually happened before. Um, his wide receiver coach is fired after four games for not having the right players on the field, getting lined up correctly. Mm -hmm. there, there, of course, is the vaccination conversation that took place all season long about the state of Alabama and requirements and mandates and his stubbornness to not want to even just have a conversation about it one way or the other. Um, he then beats LSU in Baton Rouge for the first time in over two decades. He beats a ranked Ole Miss team, the best regular season Ole Miss team we've had in the history of the program, beats both of them, then loses five straight games to finish the season. He fires Mike, Mike Bobo. Derek Mason, his defensive coordinator, leaves. Called that, by the way. Ta yeah, you did. Ta called why? Tank Bigsby. You have personal, personal and philosophical reasons. Is that right? said that last week. I was like, yeah. their values don't align. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tank Bigsby threatens to leave and then doesn't. That same weekend, Bo Nix announces he's leaving and does. They then lose about eight or nine dudes on the defensive line into the portal. And then they, and in, in, the, in between, they've hired Austin Davis to be their coordinator, who seems what? like seems like a very smart decision when they hired him. I, I think Godfrey was on here saying, it seems like just a really smart hire. And then... 43 days later, he walks away from one of the most prestigious SEC institutions and one of the highest paying jobs in the, in the college football as a sport uh, for personal reasons after 43 days and not coaching a practice. This is one of those things to me, and I try to just sit back and listen because I obviously was familiar with a lot of those instances, but when you put them all in a row, it just hits different. I will say... Same thing for relationships, whether you're male or female, or no matter who you love, if you're getting mixed signals, the answer is no. So if you're, <laughs> if you're winning, men, you're winning men. games, you shouldn't <laughs> you're like, you're doing things, you know, unprecedented things, but then you're doing a lot of stupid stuff too. You just gotta, you gotta chalk it up to mixed as a no. It's a no for me. Uh, so this is advice to young adult males across the board. If you're getting mixed signals, it's the a, answer is no. It's a, it's also advice to women. If you're getting mixed signals from either side. That's true. It's a no. But isn't there a whole movie about like, uh, if he if he's interested, he'll call? He's just not that into you? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that like the whole like... Yeah, that's the thing. So if you're getting mixed signals... Yeah, that's true. Then, then it's yeah. a no. And, and yeah. in the, in the uh, marital parlance of this conversation, mm 
it is maybe or we'll see. <laughs> Those are the two phrases. Wait, give me an example. And parenting too. So if you're if you're if you're talking to your parents or your spouse, it's specifically your mother or your wife, mm-hmm. and, and they say we'll see, that means no. Yeah, almost it, always. But it shouldn't be like that with your kids because if you say we'll see, it's a yes. N- no, no, to no, them. No. no, but to them. My mother, it was a no. It was definitely oh, okay. a no. Like, hey, can we go do X, Y, or Z, mom? Uh, we'll see. She just wanted you to stop. We'll see. Talking yeah, about it, basically. Yeah. Stop, stop hounding me. Um, I just wanted to lay it out there for people so that they could hear all of it because it's a lot individually. And I talk about this with Tom a little bit later on, but individually, there are some reasons why some of these things could happen. But Bo Nix has probably had a lot of BS. He's tired of dealing with whatever he yeah. wants to move on. Fine. That could be in and of itself. Not That's a big not deal. a huge red flag to me. And any one of these particular incidents taken individually, there's right. no major problem here. When you put eight or nine or 10 or 12 of them together in a line, there's one common denominator. And the one common denominator right now, there are two, and I asked Tom about this, it's Brian Harson and it's Auburn. (laughs) So so whose fault is it, Brian Harson or Auburn? And the answer is probably both. I'll let Tom answer that question a little bit later on. Never a dull moment, Aaron, on the planes. Never a dull moment. Definitely not. I would venture to say that a couple of those isolated incidents are... pretty concerning to me, but when you wrap them all up, everyone's leaving. (laughs) (laughs) He has coached 13 games and will be on his fifth total coordinator. So yeah, it's all you need to know. Uh, All right. Let's do some positive stuff. How about that, Aaron? Okay. Um, SEC quarterbacks, and we'll have some news on, we'll we'll get to Jackson Dart and Caleb Williams in just a second, but Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow are playing in the Super Bowl, And I'd like people to have an opportunity to win a bar bet in their lives. Mm-hmm. And here's some good nuggets for you from the Super Bowl as it pertains to SEC quarterbacks and just quarterbacks in general. Stafford and Burrow, of course, both number one overall, Georgia and LSU, both highly talented kids that came to, to the SEC. They will play in Super Bowl 56. Only sixth, it'll be the sixth time in Super Bowl history that two quarterbacks from the same conference played against each other in the Super Bowl. The last one was Peyton Manning and Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50, which is insane to me that Cam Newton won a national championship in college in 2010 and then played Peyton Manning in a Super Bowl five years later, knowing that Peyton Manning was drafted in 1998. <laughs> Insane. That's just a weird number. Uh, then it happened with Tom Brady and Russell Wilson, Michigan and Wisconsin, respectively in 49, Super Bowl 49, 2014. Peyton Manning and Rex Grossman, Super Bowl 41, 2006. I'd like to pause for a second here. I Aaron. forgot about, that's one I forgot about. Go ahead, I'd, li- I'd like to pause for a second here and just note that I think Rex Grossman, as an SEC quarterback, is one of the more underrated players of the modern SEC world. Almost won a Heisman, almost took his team to the national championship game. A lot of almost, you know, first round pick, average NFL player, did play in a Super Bowl and get his team to a Super Bowl. But I think sexy Rexy is, I think he's underrated when it comes to his SEC college career. Just throwing it out there. I'm going to tell you something, and I don't like to speak to things that I don't know about. And I was in the ninth grade when that happened. So <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend his, that particular performance or his college career for that matter. Cause I was an eighth grader younger. Almost, almost won a Heisman. And had they beaten Tennessee in 01, I believe they would have pl- possibly played in the championship game. I'm not sure. They would have played in the SEC title game and then maybe the national title game uh, if they if if they beat Nick Saban in LSU. I think that was Saban's first title in 01. 
What's interesting is that I think he's more talented than Chris Leak. He's more talented potentially than Tim Tebow as a thrower. He's more talented than Danny Werfel. He's more talented than like almost all of the modern era quarterbacks. Tebow was, was certainly a better college player, but what was the difference? Uh, he's the, the team much, around him. It's, uh, number one. Yes. Uh, and the coaching staff. Meyer is probably a, yeah, I probably lean Meyer over Spurrier, but that's because Meyer's kind of a giant POS, but um, <laughs> Tebow was just a physical specimen and, and right. Gross, Grossman was a better passer, like a better pure thrower of the football. I mean, listen, he played in a Super Bowl. No other Florida quarterback has done that. <laughs> so, it's impressive. So, anyway, uh, and, and sidebar. Just thought I'd throw it out there. But I think Grossman. No, I love the sidebar. I think Grossman's uh, underrated. Um, John Elway and Chris Chandler in 1998, Super Bowl 33. That's Stanford and Washington, respectively. And then all the way back in 76, back when Aaron uh, was in school, uh, Ken Stabler <laughs> from Alabama and Frank Tarkenton, who played in three Super Bowls from Georgia uh, in Super Bowl 11. So here's your bar bet. Four times out of the six, SEC. No surprise, another bullet point from which SEC fans can brag. Yeah, because this isn't a biased or po this podcast isn't lean one particular way at all. I report the facts, Aaron. I know. Everyone loves winning a bar bet. I don't know exactly how, how you really like drum up that bar bet Name without someone knowing that you already know. Well, that not that all bar bets when it comes to sports trivia? Ish. Like, like, like name the X, Y, and Z players that did X, Y, and Z for this thing. And that, that's how you, that, you know, name the four times the SEC's had two starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. But do you have to, but don't they have to know the question before they bet on it? Have I'm you been really have you, thinking? Have you been in a lot of sports based trivia bar bets before? Because it feels like you haven't. No, I don't think trivia based. I have. Don't you get, oh. you don't get to know the question first. I just am really like, for some reason, my brain's going way down the technical route of this bar bet right now. And I just, yeah, want you're, to you're sucking the fun out of it. Fun you're, sucker. You are a fun sucker. That's what you I are. know. Yeah. Um, all right. I minored so in that. I also just appreciate the stages of their careers. Matt Stafford having basically, this might be his last chance to win anything. That, that 2007 Georgia team that he played on that went to, to the Sugar Bowl and beat Hawaii, they lost in Neyland to Tennessee. They probably were better than the 2007 LSU team that won the national championship. But but because they lost to Tennessee, they didn't play in the title game and Tennessee got housed. And so I just think it's fun to see Stafford's career come through Detroit full circle and a chance to win the Super Bowl. Whereas Joe Burrow, you know, two years in LSU, everything wins everything. Two years in Cincinnati, already in the Super Bowl. Like, Dude wins everything. I just think it's fascinating to watch their two careers unfold. Yeah, it's kind of like whatever he touches turns to gold. How do you think this SEC quarterback Super Bowl matchup will rank in comparison to the prior six? Well, the, the Manning Cam one was garbage. It was all defense. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a really bad football game. Manning Grossman was a close-ish game in the third quarter into the fourth, but – Grossman didn't do, do, do a whole lot. Um, Stabler and Tarkenton, that was pretty good <laughs> back in 76. So really not a lot of great games. I think to your question, these two guys are more prepared and more talented to, and in the primes of their career, to sling it all over the place with a bunch of really great players around them. Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, mm -hmm. Tyler Boyd, Odell Beckham. A lot of LSU players, by the way. Lots Jamar of Chase and Odell, Odell Beckham. <laughs> um, Sony, Sony Michelle for the Rams from Georgia as well. 
I like the underdog energy too. And I'm seeing clips of like Bengals fans that are just like really old and just crying that their team is in the Super Bowl with just elated. It's going to be just the the nature of the matchup makes it fun. And I think the quarterback battle will be awesome to watch. So just wanted to throw it out there. Two SEC quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Only the sixth time it's ever happened for any conference. Of course, the SEC claims four of them. And you can go win yourself a couple bucks or maybe a beer at the bar, uh, even though Aaron's literally clearly never done that in her life. Um, <laughs> Jackson, Jackson Dart is transferring to Ole Miss. So Lane Kiffin gets his guy. Uh, Jackson Dart's a, you know, six, three, 210 pounder athletic kid, really talented played for USC last year as a freshman, um, brings a tight end, I believe with them to Ole Miss as well. So they've kind of found their replacement for Matt Corral, which is really interesting. Um, I just think along, I don't know what to make of the the dart kid coming to Ole Miss and what it means for them. I think they're clearly going to be better at that position now than we expected. What I love the most about this story though, Aaron Mm -hmm. is like Lane Kiffin's ability to be Lane Kiffin, like his ability to be himself is extraordinary. Like I'm guessing you're pointing, going to point at a particular example. Yes. So there's all this talk right now about the NCAA rules committee focusing on, players faking injuries, right? It's happening across the country. The rules committee is talking about it. Obviously, Tennessee fans are going to remember all the players that were, that may or may not have looked like they were perhaps potentially faking injuries in the Ole Miss Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. Well, Lane Kiffin tweets, basically, you know, go NCAA, even though his team is largely the team that has been doing the dirty here. What is his motivation there? To be Lane Kiffin. He is just better at being himself than anybody else. Just zero shits per usual. Exactly. And when Jackson Jackson Dart commits, he's like, he does like a parade on Twitter for himself. It's just amazing. Now, do you think that there's going to be, that even though they quote unquote got their guy, that do you think Ole Miss fans need to keep in mind who they're coming from in Matt Corral? And to have a healthy, healthy mindset going into this season, because I mean, so there's a difference. So what do you, what would you say to the Ole Miss fans who are looking to continue their, well, what do you, what do you say to Ole Miss fans that had Matt Corral last season? Um, you're not getting Matt Corral. I think that's probably <laughs> a good starting place. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're smart to say to people, Hey, uh, th- th- it's going to take some time. Um, Most now, people know the difference. Most I, I, people yes. know that it's not Matt Corral. But Dart, Dart only played. Dart only played like six games, um, and he only started like the last four or five. He did. He did start against Washington State on the road and threw for like three hundred ninety-one yards and four touchdowns. So I think the talent. So he had some. Yeah, he had some up there games. He threw for over three hundred against UCLA in, in like a back and forth game that UCLA won actually pretty big. Um, th- at that point, they'd already fired their coach. Clay Helton was out. So, like, I don't know if you can look at the numbers. I think your message is accurate. Do not expect Matt Corral levels of production right away. But he is clearly a great second option, considering they had nobody else on the roster. And to acquire him via the portal is like landing a five-star recruit. So Yeah. Yeah, he's still young. You needed him, and you got him. Bingo. Exactly. So it's still a good day. And then Lane did a victory lap on Twitter, which is just shocking. par for the course. Uh, Caleb Williams uh, goes to USC. We should mention that he goes to USC to play for Lincoln Riley. He does not in fact go to Georgia, which means the only real big name at quarterback that we're left, you know, kind of watching is JT Daniels. Uh, Of course at Georgia, what he's going to do. 
Um, and whether or not, uh, I guess he's going to the portal, uh, who knows? Um, so, so there you have, uh, there you have that some, some quarterback news there, uh, before we get to Tom green here real quickly, Aaron, green. I've got some, rec- I've got some crouton data that I'd like to throw out there for the folks. And I want you to grade these nuggets. Can you do that for me? Okay. What's the scale? Um, obviously five stars <laughs> for like most interesting or five, yeah. Five star rating would be like, you're, you're a very highly touted data point. Okay. So super important news to the overall and the overall effect on the season. Yeah. And interesting and interest level, you know, so four mm-hmm. and five stars are high, you know, two stars are low, you know, you get okay, it. Okay. I don't need this much mansplaining. Yeah. Thank you though. Go ahead. All right. Bud's going to talk about a lot of this stuff, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Okay. okay. LSU. LSU is number 18 entering signing day in America. That makes them eighth in the SEC. Only two times since 24-7 sports became a company. Only two times has LSU finished outside of the top 10 in recruiting, 2018 and 2012. This would be only the third time this season would be only the third recruiting class that LSU has had essentially this millennium. Millennial? Millennium? Millennium. Millennia. uh, That LSU will finish outside of the top 10. How interesting. How many stars? Mm, I'm going to say four. Because that in and of itself is a very interesting fact and is not shining a great light on LSU. However, we have seen LSU, because of who they are, make even their their recruiting classes that weren't the best. We've seen them bounce back quickly. So I would say because of the nature of LSU being LSU, it probably is not as significant of a data point as it would be for somebody else because they seem to bounce back no matter what. Excellent job. That was a quality star ranking. That was I think 24-7 sports should be hiring you based on wow. the, the, the job you did there. All right. I need to update my resume, but go ahead. Next one. Missouri's average recruiting class since entering the SEC. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to 2012. Yep. Its average recruiting class since entering the SEC is a 38.4. The best class they've ever had since entering the SEC is 25th ever. That was 2015. Missouri, right now currently in the rankings entering signing day, 11th it would be arguably the greatest recruiting class in school history again average since entering the sec 38.4 right now today 11th i give this five stars super interesting and here and i'll add another layer sec sec recruiting rankings this year texas a&m alabama georgia missouri tell me if you ever thought that was going to be the case and then you're looking at missouri's at four Florida's at 13. I want to add more layers because you're adding good layers here. Mm-hmm. How about this? They are the they are first of the three Tigers in the SEC. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Of, of all the Tigers in the SEC, they are ahead of LSU and ahead of Auburn. And uh, by, by a couple spots. Next, next factoid on recruiting. Okay. Kentucky, average recruiting class over the last 10 years, same span as Missouri. 33.7 their average recruiting class the best class during that span 22nd back in 2014 their current class 12th in america the best recruiting class in the history of kentucky football much like missouri i will give that these are good factoids yeah, I like i'll give that four i teeter between three and four because we've kind of seen kentucky on this slow build towards building a program. So this isn't as shocking to me Ah, as some of the other stuff that we've talked about. So somewhere between three and four stars. I don't know if we do 
uh, half rating, half star ratings. Uh, no, we don't. I'm gonna give it. A we point. don't. Yes, they have not. Kentucky has nine four star recruits, ten three star recruits, and they have been on a slow build, which is very hard to do. Yep. It's much harder to do than to be Kentucky and have building towards consistently great recruiting. It's much harder to do that, obviously, than just have one standout class and get lucky. And this is not a matter of Kentucky getting lucky. Uh, okay, I like that. All good analysis there. This is I like this game. Okay, a couple more here, and we'll try to be quicker. Um, okay. Dan Mullen fired for not being able to recruit. Right. Among other things, <laughs> um, the Gators were ninth, ninth and 13th in the nation in his three classes. Point being, Florida right now is 26. Now, some of that's because Napier is just now on the job. So you don't really hold that that against him too much. But Mullen was fired because he couldn't recruit, even though he had three consecutive top 13 classes. To me, that's a very small target that Florida's trying to hit. It feels like Napier has that ability, but we shall see. Same thing for Josh Heupel and Jeremy Pruitt. For all of Jeremy Pruitt's, Pruitt's faults, which there were many, his last two classes, his first, his only two full classes in Knoxville were 10th and 13th. Josh Heupel right now is 16th and 14th. So neither of Heupel's classes have been better than either of Pruitt's classes. Napier's first class won't be as good as Mullen's last two classes, merely just pointing out that when you transition and taking over, it's very difficult. You're you're shooting for very small bullseyes. Yes, and you also have the residual effects of what someone has left behind because guys know that even if you're going to have a good recruiting class the next year that a player coming in has to deal with, whether it's in the transfer portal or whatever, they have to deal with whatever has been left. And so going from – it does – to me, it's a testament – that Dan Mullen fell from, I know this is technically Napier's class, but it went from 13th in the nation to 13th in the SEC, which mm -hmm. means there is a lot of residual damage there. Okay, three stars for me, five stars for that last little nugget you dropped. Thank you. Yeah. Like you if you tweet it out, you better give me credit. I was going to post, I was going to call that a three-star stat. Just, this I think it's a four, I think it's four stars. Okay, all right, I like it. Dan Mullen screwing up doesn't surprise me. The fact that they fell that much when you look at those numbers is That's surprising. Uh, all right, how about Mississippi State here? They're twenty fifth in the nation. Should they stay in the top thirty, Mississippi State will land its eighth consecutive top thirty recruiting class with their third different coach. I saw this before we got on the podcast, and I got to give that four stars too. All right. I don't, I don't understand why. And part of it's the mystery for me because there's some schools. I just don't see that happening at a school like Kentucky or Missouri. It just seems like there's certain schools that get away with lapses in great recruiting without their program falling apart. And Mississippi state seems to be one of those. I can't exactly tell you why. <laughs> yeah. It's in, their, their highest rated class is only like 18th. Like they didn't have a of those eight classes. Like not one of them is top 15. And yet they still keep going to bowl games, um, largely, ironically, because of what Dan Mullen built. Uh, Ole Miss is 21st in the nation. Arkansas, 23rd in the nation. Um, if they both finish in the top 25, it will mark the third time in four years that both of those teams have signed a top 25 class. So just another nugget there. Uh, that, that's like a three-star stat, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd give that three stars. But the matchup this season would get more. Yes. That uh, factoid, <laughs> three stars. Yes, they exactly. still keep playing like that. If they keep playing like that, they both get five stars. Yep. Basically, here's what you need to know about recruiting heading into this the, the National Signing Day. Auburn, LSU, and Florida way behind in recruiting for obvious reasons with two of those changing coaches. Uh, Auburn, obvious reasons with Brian Harson. The teams that are way above over, you know, massively overachieving, Missouri and Kentucky, 
namely the biggest two. So that's kind of what you need to know as we head into National Signing Day. And uh, there you have it, Aaron. That was fun. There's your prep for National Signing Day. Um, all right. Uh, you are going to hear from Bud Elliott from 24-7 Sports with a lot more in-depth knowledge and analysis on recruiting way better than, than, than we're going to do. So you'll hear from Bud Elliott coming up a little bit later on in the show. But when we return, Tom Green from AL.com is going to give us a PhD on what the hell is happening with Brian Harson and the Auburn Tigers. Fringe Element, Aaron Dugan, is brought to you by the wonderful and amazing and spectacular Very Real folks at Jaspers, recruiting only the best of the best in employees, clientele, and um, food, food products as well. You will not see them losing staff for no reason. Everyone loves Jaspers. They don't want to transfer to other restaurants. They want to stay there. They want to uh, serve their clientele there. They want to win the day, if you will, and they do it with a smile. And that's the best part. Do they trust the process also? They do trust the process and they love the grind. Uh, every day is a Super Bowl at Jasper's. Um, <laughs> I was I was gonna make a portal joke, but you did it for me. So I, oh, I did. Uh, yeah, you Yay. put it, you, you slid it right in there. I like that. Uh, five five star slabs of meat at Jasper's. That's what they've yes. got. Five star slabs of meat. Four star vegetables. Uh, five star dessert pastries. No question about that. The cheesecake. My girls love it. Uh, you can grab and go at the market. Uh, they can run an up tempo offense. They can run a slow offense if you want to sit down and take your time. There you, you can, go. You can do that. There it is. Yep, yep. They they can play out in space. They got the big bar. You can you know you can have a more they intimate. They have record setting, unmatched TVs. Yes. You've never seen TVs like this. No, no one's ever seen them. No, they they. This is the first time they've been anywhere. These TVs. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. And they're fun to watch, and they're um, big. They're very very big. These TVs. Go. <laughs> Many people are talking about these TVs. Uh, go to go to Jasper's. I did not course. mean to go down that road. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The menu is genuinely awesome. Um, and they sort of, like we joke, but they do actually have a little bit of something for everybody. So if you want to go in there and have a mm-hmm. nice meal with the significant other and make it like a date night, they've got like a more formal dining room. If you want to go in there with a bunch of friends and just, you know, a bunch of hijinks and tomfoolery, you could go in there and just, you know, what, what, do you corral? Sit what do at the you bar do? like we do carouse is carouse the word what's the word i'm looking for peruse no that's a good one though um thank you i don't think it works here though i i'm missing the word I, carouse i'm, I'm screwing what up you... the word yeah I'm i don't totally, know how to help you uh it's fine no very few do <laughs> um so so if you want to ha- like you know go in and just be i don't want to say be obnoxious but like you want to go in and loud and have a couple shots and watch the game and cheer for your team you can do that there's a or game taking room. some hoopla hoopla is a good one there you go um, I'm going to come up with that word as soon as we're done recording. Um, yep. There's the game room where you can rent it out with a private space. If you want to have a formal birthday party or watch the game, have a watch party and you got the grab and go market where you can just pop on by great drink specials for happy hour after work. So I really don't know what else Jasper's can do for you. Is it commotion? Commotions is one, but that's not, it's not what you want. Okay. I'm not going to no, help anymore. I'm done. I very, again, I, I am unhelpable. That's what this is. It, it, it's not the first people time have tried. Many, many have tried. Many have failed. All have failed. Um, okay, so go to Jasper's, everybody, right? Yeah, I think you should. It's delicious. Braden and I might be there getting drinks, or we might be getting drinks and fighting at the bar. You just never know. Carousing. Carouse? 
Tom, welcome to the show, man. Really appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, how are things down in the Plains, man? How are you? Uh, you know, just a, another normal week around these parts. Um, you know, as normal as can be by Auburn standards. Let me try to get your perspective on that sentence right there, because we know Auburn is one of the most interesting programs in all of America. The dynamics at play, both in the state geographically with Sabin and, you know, all the things that Auburn has to deal with. Relative to Auburn standards, how bizarre has Brian Harson's tenure in less than a calendar year been so far? I think even by Auburn standards, it's been a little strange. I mean, you want to start on the field, obviously, you know, very promising start to the season there, six and one start, but then lost five straight to, or six and two start rather than lost five straight to end the season, you know, first losing season since 2012, things kind of just kind of spiraled that final month of the season, you know, blew several double digit second half leads, things just, you know, kind of fell apart, starting quarterback goes down, just so much going on. And then off the field, in the 13 months that he's been here, he's now had to replace six assistant coaches. You know, two of them didn't even, uh, you know, pra- you know, participate in a single practice with the team. When you go back to Tracy Rocker, who was the original defensive line coach hire and then left less than two weeks later for an NFL job. And now Austin Davis, who was here for, I believe, 43 days before stepping down yesterday. So well, I want to get into Austin Davis a little bit more because I, I find the Brian Harson offensive philosophy, Mike Bobo thing. I think that's fascinating. But just in general, if you were to look at the entire 13 months and, and some of the things that have taken place, how much of this is self-inflicted by Brian Harson? How much of this is, for lack of a better term, Auburn inflicted by forces outside of the program? Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is just Brian Harson trying to, you know, put his imprint on this program. You know, he's talked a lot about developing the culture. Um, you know, I, I think that's why we've seen several players going to the transfer portal just because they might not necessarily be fits for what he feels like he wants to do with this program, whether it's, you know, strictly from a, you know, X's and O's standpoint or just from a buy-in standpoint. And I, I think some of the, co- you know, some of the coaching departures are for, were for that reason too. Um, you know, you look early into the season, you know, he fired his wide receivers coach four games into the year because he didn't think that, you know, that position was up to par and he went ahead and just promoted an offensive analyst who was his offensive coordinator at Boise State the last couple of years. Things obviously didn't work out with Mike Bobo, um, especially late in the stretch of that season where the offense just, you know, was in a tailspin in the second half of games, couldn't produce even when the defense was turning in some really good performances. Derek Mason, you know, I think you really have to question when, you know, he's, you know, steps down just to go to take what is, you know, at best, I'd say a lateral move to go to Oklahoma State. But, you yeah, know, I think some of this is just, you know, Brian Harson wanting to, you know, do things his way. Um, he's really said it since, you know, the day he got hired, you know, you can do things right or you can do things right now. And, you know, he's being being very meticulous and, you know, trying to make sure all the ducks are in order. And it's almost like a soft reset going into year two at this point. I think that's a pretty normal thing for a new coach to want to do is sort of, I don't want to clean house is maybe not the right term, but like, that's kind of what ends up happening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times if that's what happens and success follows, then it all makes sense. It's all part of the plan. Do you get a sense that that's what's taking place? Like you said, is, is re- resetting the, the culture? How much of it is him learning on the, learning on the job and learning that Auburn and the SEC both are very different monsters than the group of five in Boise state and sort of the, the, the laid back pace of let's call it the Pacific Northwest. What, how much of it is him learning and how much of it is just Auburn needed the shakeup? I think it's a little bit of both. You look at his career, he's, he's had success, you know, every time you know, he's been a head coach. 
Um, you know, this was probably the most difficult season that he's endured. And I think it was really a wake up call, you know, his first in the SEC going through that trial and learning that it really is a different monster than, you know, up in Boise State. Um, so I, I do think that some of it, you know, from from that regard. But then, you know, I, I think, like you said, I think he's learning on the fly, too. It's just a very different situation for him to be in. And, you know, he knows that he needs to produce because there is a lot of pressure at Auburn, especially when you look across the state at the success that Alabama's had. And then your other biggest rival just won a national championship. So, you know, there is a lot of pressure to succeed and produce those results immediately. And, you know, I think you, you obviously need to improve on the field. Uh, you need to improve that coaching staff. You need to improve your personnel and, you know, you need to recruit. And, you know, they did a pretty good job of closing well during the early signing period, but, you know, top 15 class, um, Tomorrow, they probably won't get many guys, maybe a few. Um, they've been trying to go to the portal, uh, you know, but they're losing more than they've brought in so far. And, you know, it's just hard to keep pace from a personnel perspective. And while a top 15 class nationally looks pretty good, when you look at the SEC, you know, they're, you know, middle of the pack toward the bottom half. And that's really hard to kind of maintain when your two biggest rivals are just widening the gap with everybody else. Well, and, and not just those two, but LSU wins the national title two years ago. Now A&M's recruiting at this ridiculous level. Ole Miss wins 10 games. Um, I know Auburn beat them. What's funny is that I, I look at the – I want to dive into the Austin Davis thing for here for a second because that one's even weird by Auburn standards as well. Um, I think individually all of these things, right, like, you know, Bo Nix wanting to transfer after three pretty tumultuous, solid, but, you know, up and down seasons, like he probably did that for him. I think you can look at each one of these things that's happened and sort of it, there's, there's some sense there, right? Like Mike Bobo schematically never felt like a fit with Brian Harson, in my opinion, right. it, it always felt a little forced there. Same thing with, with Nick's. And, and I think you could argue with Austin Davis, if he's just a guy who thought, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I want to recruit in the sec. It's, it's, it's a pretty tough business individually. There's some sense to be made of all of these things, but taken as a whole, it feels like there's a bigger problem here. And I do think the Auburn boosters and the Auburn decision makers have to claim some of the, the, the drama themselves, but is there a through line? Is there a descriptor you can find that, that, you know, why, why they have to talk tank Bigsby off the transfer ledge? You know, is there, is there something that connects all of these things or are they just random incident, you know, incidents that are totally coincidental? Yeah, I think some of it is random. You know, some of it's just a changing landscape of college football right now with NIL, with the transfer portal. You're having to deal with these things that you didn't necessarily have to worry about before. Um, you know, specifically, you know, with the Austin Davis thing, I, I, I don't think that's something that, you know, Harson or really anybody on that staff or within that program could have necessarily seen coming. When you look at how long Harson took with the initial search and how, you know, meticulous he was going through candidates and, you know, even when it was reported that, you know, he was expected to hire Austin Davis, it felt like it was almost a week before that became official because, you know, they were just, you know, trying to tie up all the loose ends and make sure that they were doing everything right and make sure that it was a fit and that they were on the same page. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, a really intriguing hire, obviously a very young up and coming coach, only three years of experience, but, you know, obviously familiarity with the, with the region, having, you know, grown up and played at Southern Mists. He's got a good track record working with quarterbacks from his, you know, time working with Russell Wilson over there. Obviously came highly recommended from, you know, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and, you know, his former coaches at Southern Miss. And really, you know, just looking at that, you know, kind of recent trend of SEC, well, yeah, I guess SEC teams, but some college teams in general, just plucking these up and coming NFL assistants 
uh, for, you know, kind of major roles on staff. Like they did, you know, like LSU did with great success with Joe Brady, like Kentucky did last year with Liam Cohen. Um, you know, so it seemed like it made sense. And especially with Brian Harson wanting to be more involved with the offense himself, getting a guy who doesn't necessarily have a track record as a play caller, um, but someone who he thinks could really develop the quarterback position, which let's face it, Auburn need an upgrade at in the play at that position this coming season um, for as good as Bo Nix was at some points last, last year, we know how up and down he's been throughout his career. TJ Finley showed his moments too, but you know, just both of them really struggled with consistency and Auburn needed an upgrade at that position if it wants to compete. But then for Austin Davis to, you know, part ways, you know, pretty much three, three to four weeks after arriving on campus, um, I think that took a lot of people by surprise. I know some news started trickling out Sunday evening. Um, some players started reacting. Guys like Zach Calzada and Robbie Ashford, two quarterbacks that came to Auburn in part because of Austin Davis um, through the transfer portal. You know, you really got a feel for those guys because, you know, this is more out of, out of their control than anything else. You know, Brian Harson and his staff, they'll figure things out. Um, but it's the players that are really going to be impacted the most by something like this. Yeah, even for Auburn standards, 43 days on the job is – is very interesting. Um, what's the state of this roster heading into summer camp? I know there's a lot of player management to go with the spring practice and the portal and recruiting and everything, but just what, what's your sense of how good this roster roster is going to be in the summer when they break camp? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's some areas of concern for sure. I mean, they've lost eight defensive linemen in the portal. Obviously, they bring back, you know, they got some really good news in early January when, you know, Derek Hall, Colby Wood and uh, Echo Leota, you know, they're, they're three best pass rushers all say they're coming back. So that's promising. It's just a matter of getting depth behind them and, you know, really getting depth on the interior of that line. I think that's really the biggest question mark. You know, this defense, there's going to be a lot of turnover just to, you know, based off, you know, some of the seniors you were losing in the secondary, some guys that you're losing at linebacker, whether it was Chandler Wooten, Zacoby McLean, but bringing back Owen Papo, getting a UNC transfer linebacker with experience uh, to come in there and kind of bolster that too. Um, you know, I think the defense is going to be really interesting to see just how, how much, you know, they either fall off or kind of can maintain this year after, you know, what they lost this last year, but then offensive line, you know, offensive line has been a concern for Auburn for several years. A lot of that is just because a lack of quality recruiting up front. But, you know, they got several guys coming back for a sixth year. So kind of buys them a little bit of time, got guys with more experience coming in, starting experience, um, you know, kind of buys time for Brian Harson and Will Friend and them to, you know, kind of try to restock and reestablish, you know, some recruiting up front in that regard. Quarterback, I think, is obviously going to be the most interesting question. You lose Bo Nix, you have five guys now who will be competing for that job throughout this offseason. TJ Finley obviously has that starting experience at Auburn already. Zach Calzada coming in from Texas A&M has the most uh, SEC experience of anybody in that room. And then, you know, you got three guys who haven't really played much college football at all. Uh, Demetrius Davis, who redshirted for Auburn this year, four-star signee Holden Garner, who was, you know, the first high school recruit that Brian Harson got a commitment from and has really been high on him for the last, you know, basically a year now. Um, been really just impressed with, you know, his development and, you know, how he performed at the high school level uh, as a senior. And then Robbie Ashford coming in from Oregon, just a really good athlete. Um, we'll see how much he can factor into that competition but you know another Alabama guy who you know has just a lot of athleticism and raw talent um, kind of just see where he fits in but I think 
obviously the quarterback position is going to be the most intriguing thing about this team for the next, you know, seven months. Gurner needs to like get reps with the first team right away so that everyone in the SEC can learn how to say his name. First of all, that's like <laughs> number one. That's what we got to do. Um, all right. I'll leave you with this, Tom. If you look at uh, Auburn, there's very few team, maybe no team in the SEC has a coach truly on the hot seat in year number two in any other program, you would not be on the hot seat, but this is Auburn. And it certainly didn't end the way the team wanted. We've got all the off-the-field drama we've just sort of covered. What is a reasonable expectation for Brian Harson to regain the trust of all of the boosters, which may never happen because some of them didn't want him in the first place. But if you just look at where this team needs to be at the end of the season for him to be, you know, to win back the fan base per se, what, what, does, what needs to happen? Because it's not just, it's not necessarily just about playing well. So what, what does Auburn need to do to sort of solidify Brian Harson as a, a year three guy at the end of the year? I, mean, I think he needs to show a little bit more proof of concept. I think he needs one of those signature wins. You know, I think we thought he had that with that LSU game and maybe even that old Miss game. You know, those are two really impressive wins this season. But, you know, just for someone who came in last year and made such an emphasis about going 1-0 each day, you know, fourth and one mentality for the team to falter down the stretch like it did, I think is really concerning. Um, they need to show that, you know, they can't let the same thing happen when they're on the doorstep in some of these games or when they have, you know, these 10 or 11 point leads in the second half, they need to show that they can hold on to it. You know, we obviously need to see offensive improvement because like Gus Malzahn, you're, you know, you hire him because he is an offensive guru and, you know, Brian Harson's had a lot of success on that side of the ball. And I think that's why we're going to see him be a little bit more involved on that side this year, because, you know, it just wasn't up to the standard that he had really come to expect um, and what he had shown throughout his career. So I think those will probably be the two main things that will kind of give, you know, boosters and Auburn fans a little bit more confidence if they can show considerable improvement in those two areas. Uh, yes or no answer. Is Brian Harson the head football coach this time next year at Auburn? Yes. All right. There you go. Tom Green, thank you so much, man, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, of course, you can follow him all over the Twitters, AL.com. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Yep. Thanks for having me. That was Tom Green of AL.com covering the Auburn Tigers. And I know we sort of ran through the litany of things that Brian Harson did Aaron or is doing or has done or that Auburn's done or whatever you know <laughs> there's not really anybody on the hot seat but Brian Harson seems like he's gonna do everything in his power to put himself there I don't know it's, just, it's such a weird Auburn's weird but this is even weirder by Auburn standards yeah it's the weird got weirder that's for sure don't really they, know what else to say about that he seems to put it a lot more on Harson than on the situation so um, losing five straight I think will do that to most coaches well, and, and the other thing, of course, Aaron, that we touched on and we wanted to talk to him about primarily was the Austin Davis situation. And you're, you, have, you asked this of Bud Elliott here coming up in just a minute about sort of like what is Brian Harson like in living rooms, essentially. And, you know, like we talked earlier in the show, you know, an offensive coordinator getting in over his head and leaving after 43 days is unusual, but it's not necessarily like this, you know, huge, massive indictment on the head coach. The, the problem is, is that every other thing we see is he just really hard to work for? Is Austin Davis just not want to recruit? You know, he, he cited in his sort of statement or whatever it was basically saying, I, you know, I, I realize that I miss my family and I want to be around my family more and all this other stuff. It's just, it's just so weird. I don't know what else to say about a, a coordinator getting hired that seemed like a good move. And then 40, without even coaching a practice, he's, he's decided he's out and, I don't know what to make of this. It's just, 
it, it's getting harder and harder to defend Harson, and he's going to have to. I don't know. He's going to have to win a ton of games in his second season without a lot of, you know, talent at the quarterback position or at least experience at the quarterback position and questions everywhere else. Like I, I this is, this doesn't feel like it's going to end well. I just, I'm not totally buying that reason from Austin Davis because as someone who uh, was a collegiate athlete and has spent a lot of time in the NFL, you know, what, I understand that the coaching trail in the SEC is really is a hard lifestyle. I totally get that. But you also know enough about the sport and the nature of it, no matter what, to know what you're signing up for. So I'm not – I'll be interested to see if – Brian Harson will hope that nothing else comes out about it. I'm not buying that that's the only reason. I don't know if we'll ever find out if there's more to it than that because it was such a short-lived stint. But I'm not buying that the – I'm not buying Austin Davis's reason. And Tom said this, but Derek Mason going to Oklahoma State, it, he called it a lateral move. I think it's clearly a step back. I would argue being at Auburn is always going to be higher profile. You can recruit at a higher level. You're gonna, probably going to get paid more than anything you're going to do at Oklahoma State. So, and again, if it's about personal phil- philosophy, like I'm not sure Derek Mason and Mike Gundy line up either. So this guy is, Derek Mason has decided to take a, what I would call a step back to go to Oklahoma State. We talked a lot about this last week. Mm-hmm. And and to work for a guy that we sort of know has these, I don't want to say like insensitivities, but let's just say, you know, he kind of puts his foot in his mouth from time to time. It kind of acts like a, you know, a knucklehead, but like, I, I don't know. It just, none of this stuff paints a really good picture of a CEO. It all paints a picture of a guy who's like just swirling around in a blender and has no control. And also the, I think part of it with Harson and we did talk about this briefly, Mason is it's one of those things where Mason would be a guy that's like, if you stay, if you stand for something, at least just stand for it. Don't be silent during it. And I just cannot see that gelling. But I also do think like, again, like we mentioned last week, I think Derek Mason has a a broader long-term picture as he often does about his move. Um, It's going to be, I don't see him necessarily going from Auburn's defensive coordinator to a head coach anytime soon. And I do think that's probably still in the back of his mind of something that he would want in the future, which may have something to do with why he chose Oklahoma state. Yeah. Like the whole COVID vaccine thing is now like eighth or ninth on the list (laughs) of of things that I'm like, that's a curious decision. Um, it does, it doesn't even register now considering all the other crap that's happened. So, Mm -hmm. um, special thanks to Tom for hanging out with us from AL.com. Tom Green, make sure you go and check them out everywhere there. AL.com, great place for all your SEC uh, news with when it comes to Alabama and Auburn. So, uh, you want to talk some crouton here with Bud? You want to do that? So, when we we come back, you will get a, a PhD on recruiting. Across, I don't know, we probably asked him about what, like eight, nine, 10, 12 schools in the SEC, almost mm-hmm. all of them. Um, so we have a really fun conversation with Bud as he gets set to be very, very busy on National Signing Day, as he always is. But uh, so when we come back right here on Fringe Element, you will hear our conversation with the great Bud Elliott. Don't go anywhere, folks. This is Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. All right, let's talk a little Cruton here on the show this week as National Signing Day 2 is uh, here this week. And we would love, to, of course, to talk to the great Bud Elliott from 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports joining us here on the show. Bud, how are you? Deep breath. National Signing Day is here. National Signing Day. Caleb Williams decides to uh, make his announcement on the same day that Tom Brady officially announces his retirement. So uh, we had to go live for that on Cover 3. It was you know, pretty exciting. And uh, 
production meeting here in a little bit for our uh, 10 hours of signing day coverage on CBS Sports HQ slash 24-7 Sports YouTube. So it's going to be going to be a long day tomorrow and, and, it, and a fun one. There you have it. So for, for all of you listening on Wednesday, make sure you check out all the stuff that Bud just said. Um, I know who the Caleb Williams guy is, but this Tom Brady I don't know who that you're gonna have to refresh my memory on who that is. Um, All right. We care about recruiting here on the show. And I want to talk to you about we'll start at the top and we'll work our way through the league. But A&M, of course, at one, you've got Bama and Georgia who have been doing this sort of for a couple of years now, A&M now as well. Can you put into some historical context just how good this A&M class is and how impressive it is for two, not one, but two guys to have sort of joined Saban at the top of the national recruiting rankings in general? So it's, it's a really, really good class. Uh, I think it's already rates number three all time and uh, has a chance to finish number one all time, depending on kind of what goes down tomorrow. They, they already have number one for this year locked up. So A&M is really primarily just battling history at this point. I mean, they have what, one, two, three, four, uh, four composite five stars already in the class uh, who are, are already signed, an additional two who will, um, you know, who will make, make it official tomorrow. Uh, and this is a really, really, really class full of difference makers. You know, they're loading up on the line of scrimmage, particularly with, with, with the defensive line. Um, you know, the one thing with AM the last four years, and really going back to Jimbo's offense since Jameis left, is a horrendous ranking in explosive pass play rate outside the top 100 on average in his four years so far at AM. That's the only, like, I, I keep my stat sheet. They're all bright green, which is great. And then, like, dark red sell. Explosive pass rating, horrendous. They don't they don't hit explosive plays through the air. Maybe they can make that change with this class. Evan Stewart, one of the top. Some people think the top receiver in the country. Really an elite track guy. Also a couple million followers on TikTok. So uh, somebody who is very much set to to cash in on the NIL opportunities. Uh, and Connor Wegman's a quarterback. A and M likes a lot. You know, we'll see how early they can get him involved in the process. They also got Max, Max Johnson in the portal, uh, but. Maybe this is the class that helps them elevate to start hitting some of those home runs through the air. Well, and and can you try to, you know, how difficult we, we, we for a decade and a half now have said, who can catch Bama? Dabo did a pretty good job. Urban Meyer did so for a couple of years at Ohio State. You know, Coach O sort of hit on like Black 19 or whatever at the casino when they like got Brady and Burrow. Um, it, it, Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher are the uh, is. Is it sustainable that these three are the, are the just the best three teams in America at acquiring talent for the foreseeable future? I, I think it's possible. I mean, we, we have to see what, what Lincoln does out at USC. Uh, when USC is rolling, they have a gear they can get to that nobody else out West can have. I think that's probably why Mario left Oregon, because he realized they weren't going to be screwing around anymore there in, in Los Angeles. And out there, they have right of first refusal on pretty much everybody West of the Rockies within reason. And they also have the ability to go to you know, at Tampa or Miami or something like that and, and grab a, a prospect as you can kind of spot recruit some areas that maybe you have a connection to. Uh, so, but reasonably, there's no real reason other than if, if whenever Saban retires and we'll see who they hire, uh, that these three teams can't continue to do this. With Georgia, I, I think that's the one I would bet on the most because Kirby's young. I don't see that thing slowing down anytime soon. A&M at some point will need some sort of proof of concept. Right. You, you can ride momentum of, of the new era for so long. And obviously there's a whole lot of excitement in College Station. And I really do think that these recruits will translate into wins. Like every team that has signed a number one overall class in the playoff era has won a title while that class was on campus. Now, that stat overlaps pretty conveniently with the Bama stat 
you know, because that's typically the, t- the team is doing it. And then obviously Kirby cashed in on his couple number one classes with that title uh, just a couple weeks ago. But that'll be the expectation is that not only do they win the SEC, but, th- but they take it all home, just given recent history of what happens when you sign a number one overall class. And if you sign the number one overall class of all time, that I mean, they gave Jimbo that blank trophy. Um, they're going to expect it to get out the engraving. But when we're talking about momentum, kind of on the other side of the momentum conversation is Kentucky and Missouri and what they've been able to do recruiting wise um, at those schools. What do you attribute to that exactly? Is it stability in coaching? Is it just overall coaching and recruiting or the ability of the coaches to recruit? And is that maintainable at schools that aren't traditionally powerhouses like A&M, Georgia and Alabama? I, I think it's it's somewhat maintainable. Right. Um, so with Kentucky, I would say stability is a major factor in what they're doing. Um, they do a really nice job of, tar- I think Missouri does as well with targeting and, and understanding guys you want to build relationships with. And it is important to project who are we going to be fighting on the final weekend for this kid's signature. You can shoot too high if you're at a Kentucky or Missouri. You can also shoot too low, certainly. Uh, but if you're able to, to kind of thread that needle and figure out, hey, for most of these kids, we're fighting Tennessee you know, Auburn, the Mississippi schools, Arkansas, and we, we want to beat those schools out for these kids, you can do pretty damn well. If you if you miss on, on your evaluation of just how good this kid is, and all of a sudden the team you're, you're battling for the signature down the stretch is Bama, Georgia, you may win a battle or two, right? Like Kentucky kept Keontae Goodwin. Missouri kept Luther Burden. I mean, those are our five-star prospects. You're not going to do that repeatedly, though. So I think that they are really good with their targeting and they start to build those relationships with those kids early on, and, and they're reaping the rewards. You know, additionally, they're not exactly fighting recruiting juggernauts right now. Like Josh Heupel's staff doesn't really have a great recruiting reputation back to his days at UCF. I mean, you look what Malzahn's doing there now. They're lapping what they did at UCF recruiting-wise down here in Florida. You know, Auburn with Harson is not recruiting particularly well. LSU, they've only been on, on staff, you know, for a couple of weeks now. And the Mississippi schools are not great at the high school recruiting portion relative to maybe how they were you know, a couple of years ago. Lane's doing a great job in the portal, um, but the, the competition maybe is not as great. And you also had some turnover at, at Florida as well to help them out. Uh, Brian Kelly and Billy Napier. I think Billy Napier is sort of seems like he's taken all the smart things from Saban and implemented this vast structure of, of football, you know, industrial complex there at Florida. I think there's going to be some success there. Obviously, we've seen some short-term gains. I'd like your thoughts on them. But but also, more importantly, does Brian Kelly understand Louisiana, like, as a state? Does, does anyone? I don't know if he does or not, but they have done a really great job in the portal, and they, they may keep Matthews safety home tomorrow. Um, that'll be an interesting indication. Like, do they, do they lose him to A&M, or, or are they able, able to keep Jacoby Matthews home? Um I, I think he will probably do well there. He's made some decent hires on staff. I wasn't really sure how that staff was going to shape up initially. Uh, and I mean, I, I joked about this on Twitter, but like never doubt the resolve of a program that wants to take money from a children's hospital to funnel it to recruits, right? Like, like <laughs> they're, they're, they're very committed to, uh, to winning as are most of the SEC schools and end up winning. Right? Like you have, it's, there's a certain buy-in you have to have. It's only funny because uh, it's true. Have that. It's only yeah. funny because it's true. Uh, allegedly of course um or, allegedly well, did they prove that one they, they yeah um as as we like to say on the show allegedly 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 <laughs> allegedly correct 
so I, I think he'll do well there. Napier is is doing all the right things as far as hey, like you want Kirby Smart style results. Uh, I need to have Kirby Smart style resources here with having a million analysts and a director of this and a, a director of that. Now you can create the positions. You still have to have the right people in those positions, and we we will see if the hires he made end up being the the hires that can get that get the job done. I think he did a really great job at Louisiana. And so to me, he's proven he knows how to run a program. And he also has been in, in some of the recruiting battles that are you know the big time understanding kind of what it takes to sign five-star players at other schools, which I think is, is oftentimes a pitfall for some of these G5 only coaches who haven't been in some of those battles. So I, I would expect him to do pretty damn well there. This is, they have a lot of, a lot of recruiting space as far as scholarships for that 2023 class. They're, they're doing okay in 22, but I, I'm a big punt at the, at the high school level, when you get hired guy, uh, the attrition rates in the early signing era have been horrendous. And that's whether you ended up working out like Jimbo or whether you failed like Mullen, those first classes they signed in 2018, or you go to the next cycle, the, the guys who were hired in 19, your high school kids are having an attrition rate of like 80%, almost regardless of how your team ends up doing on the field. I think Chip Kelly is the only guy that kept his class together somehow. So I would just go portal, portal, portal the year I get hired and then I'm going to sell playing time because I have all that high school room to sell when I have time to go through a full junior day and summer camp and, and, you know, spring game visit process. It's fascinating because Chip Kelly, we, we sort of laughed about how slow he was doing recruiting at the beginning at UCLA. But to your point, it seems like it's smart. Billy Napier, again, I've told this story a million times, but I talked to him the week he got the job at Louisiana, the first year of the signing period. And he's like, I'm not taking a single player in the early signing class and waited till February until this week to, to do it. Um, you mentioned UCF and Gus Malzahn and the job he's doing at, at down in Orlando, Josh Heupel's former job, at, and now he's at Tennessee. Certainly some really good years of in-state talent at Tennessee in both his first year and then coming up in the 2023 class. Um, he, can, he can recruit well enough to be a top 20 guy in, in the national recruiting rankings. Eventually, that's not good enough for Tennessee. They, need to, they want to compete with Georgia and Florida and Bama and A&M and LSU. That's where they've been historically. Does Josh Heupel have the skills and the talent to recruit top 10 classes, top eight classes, and not just top 16, 18, 20 classes? You know, based on what we saw at UCF compared to what UCF's doing now, I would say no. Um, I'm also a little skeptical that that's where Tennessee should be historically. Like, I think if you look at it, uh, when, when Fulmer, you know, won his title and, and was really killing it, they, they had some good circumstances that they cashed in on and they certainly controlled their destiny to a certain extent, but they also had some stuff that were, were, that they were benefiting from that was out of their control. You know, Clemson was not really rolling North Carolina, uh, not particularly, you know, it, there was Mac Brown had left for Texas right at that point, I believe. And, and it was, there's some interesting stuff to, it was kind of at the end of the Spurrier era when, when Spurrier left for, for Washington. I don't really expect them to recruit it like a top, 10 level personally just based on on geography i mean florida and georgia have better geography and that does matter uh, quite a bit um but i don't know we'll, we'll see like they didn't do a bad job but like compare their compare their blue chip ratio which is a, a stat i created i mean I'm, I'm old now so a long time ago right probably 2010 i think it was to what other teams in that league have and it just it, it doesn't it doesn't measure up uh, you know a&m right now has 24 blue chips and three three stars. And that's the number one class of all time. So that's probably an unfair comparison. You know, Alabama has 20, 22 and two. 
Kentucky is seven and 14. They're run, they're running a blue chip ratio of 31% or 33%. Alabama's up there, you know, in the nineties. They're, they're not close. But as we talk about, you know, Florida seems to be heading in the right direction um, with everything that you're saying, all the hires Billy Napier made, getting everyone in the right positions, expanding to more positions if he felt like he needed that. As we're seeing Auburn kind of go in the opposite direction with Austin Davis immediately leaving, all this these coordinator changes and everything like that. Can you talk about just what the bounce back for Auburn is going to take, what that's going to look like, and maybe compare it to Florida? I think it's going to take a new coach. Um, I, 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 I actually, I made a bet with the guys. I tried to make a bet. We do our show bets on cover three. And at the end of the year, we kind of add up, you know, who won and, and who lost and, and, you know, donate charity and whatnot. And I, I threw out, I said, guys, I'll give you odds that Harson's there in year three. And none of, and Danny Cannell wouldn't take it. Tom Fernelli wouldn't take it. Chip Patterson wouldn't take it. So they're kind I of, take it. no, that is a, there's a pretty good chance that if they make a move, they're the only open job in the SEC next year. And that is absolutely a position of leverage DN over the market. Things aren't going well there. I don't think that's the guy that a lot of their power players wanted to hire. Uh, and they'll have a new president and potentially a new AD by the summer. So I don't see a turnaround happening there. Can you just, I think brief- I have him last in the West. Will you just briefly touch on a little bit less tangible of a subject, but what the recruiting difference looks like outwardly, publicly facing in press conferences and what it might look like in a kid's living room and why some guys lend themselves better to one over the other? Oh, man. Um, so, like, there's a lot of things that there's just subjects that you're not going to talk about publicly if, if you're a coach, you know, and every coach says that they don't negatively recruit, but they certainly, uh, if you if you want to just take them at their word, they engage in comparative recruiting, right? <laughs> you you want to you want to tell people what you offer, and then also maybe why that is better uh, than what somebody else is offering, and why the uh, the opportunities, maybe NIL opportunities or playing time opportunities, are, are better at your school th- than another school. Of course, on signing day, everybody was always your your first choice. Uh, in reality, a lot of times these phone calls are stringing kids along. You know, you want to make sure that you keep that line of communication open. Uh, in case your first or second or third choice uh, don't come to you. And all of a sudden you need to go and, and try to flip your fourth choice from, you know, pick your Sunbelt school or, or, you know, Purdue or some somebody like that. So not that Purdue recruits on a Sunbelt level. I don't want to, you know, don't, don't tweet me. Uh, but, you know, just got like, committed to schools that are a little bit lower level. That That's a big part of it. Um, and there's just a lot more kind of, you know, real conversations that you would have with kids that you're just not going to talk about in, in a press conference setting. Jason Witten, you will play tight end. I'm sorry. You're going to play tight end. It's not defensive end. Come to Tennessee uh, and I'll make you a Hall of Famer. Um, all right, we'll, we'll let you go here because we know you got a huge day on Wednesday. Again, if, when you guys are listening to this, make sure you're checking out all the great stuff that Bud and his whole team are doing uh, over there at 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, all the podcasts, all the coverage, the, the message boards. You got the team rankings, the player rankings. You got signing day commitments, all that great stuff, man. It's, it's all up there. Um, the middle class of the SEC seems healthier than ever before. On the field, we've seen Sam Pittman in Arkansas, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach breaking records with Will Rogers, Shane Beamer even overachieving with what I expected. I, I don't know how that's going to work long term, but just an extremely healthy middle class. We've already talked about Kentucky and Missouri. Um, of those programs, who do we feel works out because they're able to lo- capitalize on that success on the recruiting trail? Is it Pittman being a football guy? Is it Kiffin being the flashy troll on Twitter? Like, which one of these guys is able to capitalize the most on actually building a program? 
That's that's a really interesting question. I, I think in the short term, it it could be Kiffin because of the quarterback he went out and got, right? But Pittman has the coordinators. Like you kept Kendall Bryles, you, you kept Barry Odom, and I think they have really good culture there. One of the best things Sam Pittman does was he didn't have they and us, right? It, it, he he convinced everybody it was us immediately. A lot of times when a new coach comes in, you know, it's too much. Okay, what y'all used to do now here's what the new guys are going to do. He got great buy-in. Like Arkansas lost a bunch of really important leaders off this 2021 team who he never recruited. Like he, he recruited the hell out of them once he got on campus, but they were already on that roster. And he really made them believe, you know, and, and act like a family. Um, that was, I, I think that's a great job by him there. And I, that's a really good question. I just, like, I don't know if anybody's going to emerge and, and become like a consistent, you know, nine, 10 win team out, out of that mix. It's probably just, who has the right mixture of experience and, and QBs in a given year? The two people that were in my head when I asked the question about recruiting and what does it look like? What's the difference in someone's living room were Harson and Pittman, because to me, those look completely different. And I think that's why Pittman's been able to do, I always joke with Braden. I'm, I love Sam Pittman. It's no secret, but I think it's just because what he's able to do. And I do think that will have a long-term difference. I'm just trying to picture those two recruiting next to each other. And in my mind, they look, polar opposite yeah I, I i saw a buddy of mine uh who, who was on um on morris's staff and and you know still is on the staff there at arkansas and he was i was like what, what was the big difference and it was what i just told you guys the uh you know the he made everybody feel like they were part of it immediately as opposed to you know previously it was very much you're going to do things my way type thing and that's how he got the the instant buy i certainly did not expect uh, arkansas to be as good as they were the last two years. Also, Braden, to your point, shout out to South Carolina. Like I loved them over three and a half and over four wins after that thing got bet up, but them to win as many as they did, that was like both lucky and good. And I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Well, and it, and it, and it means that guys like Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Harson at Auburn, like just these programs that are used to being at a certain level, it's going to be even harder because you now you have to climb over more people to get back to that nine, 10 win status where those two programs are, Frankly, they, they feel like they should be. So uh, everybody the out there. The huge thing will be divisions. Like if they go pods, all this changes. Oh, yeah. I hate divisions. Which eventually they will. I hate divisions. I hate them. One, yeah, through six, one, through, one through 16, best two go to Atlanta. End of discussion. Uh, go check them out, of course, all over the Twitters, all over the podcast world, all over the internet, all over the, the live stream, the YouTube page, 247sports.com, CBS Sports. Thank you, bud. We appreciate it, man. Take, get some sleep here coming up this weekend, all right? Take care, y'all. Thanks, bud. That was Bud Elliott, of course, of 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. Again, if you obviously this comes out on National Signing Day, so all of you guys listening out there, uh, go check out his coverage. He's one of the best in the business, has, has been for some time. Again, invented the blue chip ratio. And, and I think before we wrap up the show here, Aaron, I thought a really good question by you to sort of just – it's sort of a common sense thing to know that coaches behave differently behind closed doors than they do publicly. It's obvious, but to just like to, for you to pick up on <laughs> what we think is this. And, and as we heard Tom green explain this sort of a, a very, I don't know, stiff up, you know, upper lip sort of, we're going to do it my way or the highway, Brian Harson style approach to entering a new scenario in the sec Versus Sam Pittman, a guy that none of us really thought was going to, and Bud agrees, didn't really think it was going to be that great of a hire because he's just sort of this aw shucks old offensive line football coach. 
Well, clearly he understands players better. He understands culture and the people and how to connect. And I, I think that was, you know, to your point, Aaron, I think it's fascinating just to put those two guys side by side and be like, look how much success, look how much not success. But just, it just gives you, I'm very visual, but it just gives you a visual of just picturing these guys in a player's living room with their parents and how different those two interactions would be and, <laughs> and kind of how they played out in real time. And yeah, you just said it. it's understanding people. If you can understand people, um, you can be better at things. And Harson is, I mean, we just saw his entire staff fall apart. Some with ever, um, two without ever having even been on the field with him during a game. And, um, it's, you, you don't want to, you don't want to assume, you know, everything that's going on, but you have to take it as very strong data points that, um, maybe the connection or the relationships there are, there's something missing, not to mention how many kids are in the transfer portal. Yes. It's I, like, I do, what is it? 15? It's, it's a bunch. A lot. It's a lot like eight defensive linemen. It, it, what, I, what I find fascinating about the SEC this offseason is that we have sort of these really, you know, unprecedented situations, which is b- nobody really on the hot seat other than maybe Brian Harson, of course. We've got all these fan bases that are fairly satisfied and excited about their coaches, whether they're third year guys like Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach, second year guys like Heupel and, you know, and, and Beamer or new guys. I think LSU fans and Florida fans are still in honeymoon phase. So I think they're still all, all in on, on Napier and, and Kelly. And we joked about, you know, kind of Kelly uh, again, strange TikTok videos aside, um, halftime speeches at basketball games and weird accents aside, like the guy still is a really good football coach and has hired a good staff. I, it, we're just in this really weird place of like sort of legitimate optimism, but with all these weird questions about, random things that we like it's just it's a fact again like every single year the sec has figured out how to just absolutely generate soap opera storylines out of thin complete air so the most dramatic season yet yes (laughs) i don't really watch the bachelor but i know enough to know that's the tagline the greatest season in the history of sec football is upon us that'd be really cool if we could get well i know chris harrison got canceled but if he hadn't It'd be cool to have him do the tagline on our show. I don't know who that is. It's the host of The Bachelor. I do know. See, I thought you knew more about trashy reality TV than I did, but it's, I think you still do, but I never beat you. Only when there's no commercials and on Netflix. Like, but you watch like, you get real in the weeds. You watch Love is Blind. You watch. All all Netflix, all no commercials. what's What's the second most embarrassing reality show that you watch? Also, because of quarantining and pandemics. That, no, that, I get that. We know, me and my wife know that we have a problem when we are watching, when we look at each other halfway through an episode and go, what are we doing? And then we realize we've been in the house too long. We've got Everyone has. So you get a pass because okay. we ran out of, everyone no, ran out uh, of TV. Too, too Hot to Handle is by far the worst one, period, in the history of television. Well, I don't even know what that is. It's, it, it makes fun of itself. It oh, is, really? It is. It is through the list. It, you, you know how like, I, I, I don't know this and I'm, I guess you don't since neither of one of us are like heroin addicts, but like when you're in the, <laughs> when you're in the, the, the bottom of the bottom of addiction, right? Like when you're in the gutter passed out at two in the morning and like you realize, okay, I need to make some life changes. Mm-hmm. This is probably not going the way it needs to go. That is the, the t- reality TV show. Like love is blind or not. Sorry. Uh, too hot to handle. 
they get very confusing because there's a lot of the same words and mm-hmm. all the names. Yeah. Too, too hot to handle is the gutter reality check. Oh. Of of reality TV show addiction. You mm-hmm. know you have a problem and that you need to seek help. Well, I think it's a good tool at least to know when you've hit that point. Yep. Sounds like you're aware. And you know, they say aware awareness is super important on the road to recovery. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, are you the one you can kind of make yourself feel good about it because it's a re- because it's like a logic problem and you can solve it before them and then you feel like you're better than them. Um, oh. Love is blind. Actually, you could begins- just watch. Are you smarter than a fifth grader if you wanted to do that? <laughs> that doesn't give me quite the ego boost I'm looking for because okay. <laughs> um, these are like 24 year olds. Um, okay. Love is blind has actually got an interesting psychological study dynamic to it at the beginning of it where you're actually seeing people try to get to know each other without visually seeing each other, which actually is interesting it just mm-hmm. devolves quickly once they get matched up and they get sent to a, an island all of a sudden it devolves quickly into uh you know a really really you know trashy partying on an island people are drunk and angry at each other it devolves- talk about devolving quickly this show yes yes um d- yeah like <laughs> the, the, those are fine like too hot to handle is the one and and it's right you're now- still going <laughs> yes right now it's like the bot it's like the bottle of bourbon on the shelf too because i haven't we haven't watched the newest season but we know it's sitting there if and when we go on a bender. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, we know it's there, and at any point, at any point, we could snap and need that bottle of Jack. We, we just don't know. I'm sending you strength. Please, thoughts and prayers to the Gall household. <laughs> uh, Aaron, where can people find you? Um, the Aaron Dugan on uh, Twitter and Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Make sure you're checking out the YouTubes as well. All the great work that Aaron and her team are doing to put up the the stuff on the on the YouTubes there. We do appreciate that. You can find me at Jasper's, of course, over on West End. Great happy hour. Great place to watch the any game, really. Super Bowl. More blue chips for Jasper's. You go, Jasper's. The blue chip ratio ratio off the charts for Jasper's. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you can follow me, of course, at Braden Gall on Twitter, at 440 Sports on Twitter as well. Uh, check out all the socials across the board. Special thanks to Tom Green from AL.com. Never a dull moment with the Auburn Tigers. Special thanks to Bud Elliott. Make sure you're checking out all their great work across all the different platforms and enjoy National Signing Day. For Aaron Dugan, my name is Braden Gall. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network.